Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Alan Parry podcast, where I talk to fascinating people and then let you listen in. Today I'm talking to the happiness man, Ed Croft. Ed is one half of the successful comedy music duo, Jolly Boat, so making people happy is what Ed does for a living. But he's also one of the happiest people I know, so I wanted to talk to him to discover his secret. What is the recipe for a happy life? Listen in as Ed reveals all, including the contents of his ever-so-secret Life Files. Hello, Alan. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's great to have you. It's, um, it's interesting, actually, because um, we're going to be talking about happiness in this show. And you're... I wanted to kick off in terms of what your profession is, because that seems particularly appropriate, because you're, in a sense, a professional happiness spreader, aren't you? Because you're a professional <laughs> comedian. That is the nicest description of my job that I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a comedian, uh, and a very silly, jolly one. So I think, yeah, there's not... That's a, that's a good description. That's a very flattering description. I am a professional happiness spreader. Come to me for your happiness. Cool. And you're part of a musical duo called Jolly Boat. Yeah, that's made up of me and my brother, and we sing comedy songs about silly things, pirates, lots of nerdy things, Dungeons and Dragons, things we love, uh, which is pretty pivotal <laughs> to happiness, I'd say. Excellent. So it was interesting then that, I mean, the reason I've got you on is, isn't so much because you're a comedian, although I think that fits, but I put a message out on Facebook, if you remember, yeah. And I said to people, who here is happy? Which is a question and a half. And you were one of the few people who actually said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a happy person. And you put your hand up. And also, you, you revealed as well that you actually have a, an interest in the whole science of happiness. So I thought you'd be a great person to talk to about happiness. So yeah. what, what was it that, what, what is it about you where you actually think of yourself in that way, where you think, yeah, I'm a happy person? Well, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I am a happy person. I've got, I've got my life in order. I do something I love doing. I'm surrounded by great people who love me. Uh, I'm very grateful for everything I have. I'm in a position of Im- immense privilege, like both uh, in terms of where I'm born in the world and, uh, and everything I've been born into, which, you know, is a thing you can be guilty for, but also you should be grateful for it. Well, it's interesting you say that because I remember, um, I remember I was doing a, a conference. Do you remember this at all? It was in uh, it was in Liverpool in the Baltic area. Yeah, I do remember this. <laughs> and I was on a panel, and I'm a musician. We were talking about politics and culture and all. That's what the whole conference was about. And yeah. so it was the audience bit, and everyone was having a good old grumble, as people tend to do in these things. Indeed. And <laughs> you, you drew the uh, ire of the audience, I think it's fair to say, because amidst all the grumbles, you, you basically said, yeah, I hear you, but everything's really good, though, isn't it? Everything's really great. I mean, it, was a, it was a message that people were really reluctant to hear. Yeah. And also, uh, for the record, since then, I think things have changed. <laughs> we've, we've had a good eight years of Tory government since then. I'm not sure I agree with that anymore. But, um, but I think your underlying point was the one you just made, that, you know, however, whatever misfortune that we sometimes feel in our daily lives, we have really looked out by being born, say, here, where the standard of living is so much higher than in many other parts of the world. Absolutely. And I think, I think not to be grateful for that is... I think I think that 
I want to say shameful. That's only maybe a little harsh, but you know, we should we should be grateful for everything we've been given. And um, yeah, yeah, that's I think that's important. I'm I'm curious actually, Ed. Why do you think that so few people were prepared to self-label themselves as happy? Is it because um, is it because we're not most of us, or do you think maybe we have an inflated sense of of what happiness actually means? I think we have an inflated sense of how happy other people are. Okay. We observe other people around us as being happier than they necessarily are. You know, we have a tendency to look at the negatives in our own life and to see the positive things in other people's. And so if you're to say, are you a happy person? You're asking, are you as happy as everyone else? Essentially. Like that's the, you know, you're, you can only measure it against other people. And, uh, and I think most people look at other people and say, oh, they have something I don't have, or uh, that's a tendency we have. And to train yourself out of that tendency into one of, again, being being grateful and appreciative of the things you have is uh, it's a key, key component to happiness, I think. Well, it's interesting, you know, because there's a, I'm, I'm trying to think which writer said this. I heard it on a podcast, unfortunately, which makes it harder to, to anchor it to yeah. a, a book. I think it was Ryan Holiday, but it might not be. But anyway, the, the cool thing that I want to I want to share is that he was talking about envy, and he yeah. said you're not allowed to be envious of anybody unless you take their whole life. So you can't be envious of a yes. little bit of it. You've got to be. You've got to say, you know, I would swap my entirety for their entirety. Yeah, and then I do that occasionally. Every now and then, I am envious of someone, uh, or you know, jealous, or um, and, and I will look at them and I'll say, would I swap? And the answer is always no. Like yeah, the because also partly we have a tendency to to synthesize happiness and to. Uh, have to place significance on the choices we've made. I think um, the thing you were, I listened to the podcast you did with Dave where he was talking yeah. about value we give things we've worked for. Right. Uh, if you remember that. I that, do, yeah. So he was saying two. we're more invested in, in the things that we've we've worked for rather than the things that we just win out of the lottery, for instance. Dave's, Dave's podcast he did with you on uh, on uh, value and attraction is is pretty fundamental. Mine and Dave's philosophies for life are developed together, and they're very very similar. Um, oh, what was I talking about? I've lost my thread. Um, we, we were talking about that idea of swapping um, swapping right, somebody's right. whole life. There's a really great one on this actually. Uh, there's a, a brilliant TED talk about the synthesizing of happiness. I think you maybe I think you maybe talked about this in that same podcast. Um, is it the Dan where, Gilbert stuff? I think so, yeah. I think that's the guy. It's, I can't remember the name of the fella, um, but he's saying that there's a, a brilliant example is uh, the guy who was the drummer in the Beatles before Ringo Starr joined. Yes, well, my dad, my dad knew him really well, you know. Oh. My dad worked with him for about 25 years, and right. they were really, really good mates. All the early Beatles conventions, yeah. um, you know, we, we got free tickets to and everything because my dad knew Pete Best so well. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, and, and Pete Best had said at some point in his life, um, "Thank God I wasn't the drummer in the Beatles. Yes. I wouldn't have been happy." Yeah. Now, that, to any of us, that seems ridiculous, right? Like, of course, a life lived in the Beatles is a great thing. Yeah. Um, but not if it's not your life, because your life is your life, and it's the only one you've got. It's the only one that exists, and uh, and you are inherently inclined as a person. We all are to value it because it's what we've worked for. 
That's an interesting point, actually, isn't it? I'd never considered it like that, that we're, we're just automatically invested in us. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned there, Ed, that you, you've, it's important to train yourself into that level of gratitude. Have you trained yourself into it, or is it? have you always been this way? Have you always been a person of kind of um, jolly disposition who just sees the world in, 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 in all its glory, or, or is this something you've had to go on a journey? I, I mean, for the record, no one is a person of jolly disposition all the time. <laughs> like we, We're all full of hormones that can make us sad about things, and, uh, you know, like being happy does not mean walking around with a grin on your face 24-7. Um, what does it mean? What does it mean for you? For me, this is my essential theory of happiness, right? <laughs> I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you with the hard thing. Excellent. Um, we, all want, we all want to feel like we're loved, like we're secure, and like we're good at what we do. And these are feelings that you cannot manufacture yourself. You cannot decide to feel loved. The only way to feel loved is for somebody else to make you feel loved. And the way you get other people to make you feel loved is by loving them. Uh, and it's a sort of it's sort of an alliance of, of good feelings and support. And uh, and that's that's the key, I think, is to get yourself into a position where you can be putting as much love and positivity into the world and into the people around you so that you are valuable to them in their lives and so that when the shit hits the fan um like i broke up with my long long-term girlfriend six months ago and yeah. um and obviously that's a sad thing but even i remember someone asking me like a, a couple of weeks after and i were and i remember i can't remember why it came up but i, I remember saying at the time no i think i'm i think i'm the happiest person i know <laughs> that's a ridiculous thing to say when you you've just had your entire identity turned on its head and your life's so confusing but i had an incredible network of wonderfully supportive beautiful friends uh, and because i've been there for them in the past they were there for me in force and uh, i think that's the that is the key to happiness well, it's, uh, yeah, going back to my earlier question then, have you trained yourself to that point? Have you come on a journey? Because the, this is why I'm asking the question, really, because whenever anyone says to me they have an interest in the science of happiness, I mean, yeah. I have an interest in the science of happiness, but I think for me it's because I'm on a journey, you know, from yeah. trying to attain that. I'm on a quest, this holy grail, for, for something <laughs> happier. And I think... I think a lot of people who get into this sort of personal development style interest have an itch of their own to scratch, and I'm just wondering if Absolutely. that was true for yourself. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, it's funny. It sort of depends on who you talk to, because I've talked to friends, and some people have, like, have told me that they saw me as a happy, charismatic person in primary school, uh, whereas for me... Like obviously, I, like I was saying earlier, we see the negatives of ourselves, and I can see the, the you know the difficult teenage years and the times when I had to accept things about myself that didn't I didn't like and change them. Um, and you know, it's, I've been through a lot of things. I've done I've done happiness meditation. I've dealt with anxieties. Uh, there's, there's a brilliant bit actually again in the podcast with Dave, who is I mean the man's a genius, and. Uh, <laughs> and me and him went through a big phase of trying to push ourselves out of our comfort zone. Yeah. And I think the value of that is you, you become comfortable in more extreme situations, which means that 
if you, when you are in a place of comfort, you're in a position to support other people who are not. And like I was saying before, that's the key. So the further you can push yourself, overcome your anxieties, become more confident and comfortable in a wider selection of situations, and you'll be more able to support and love people around you as they attempt to. I was interested as well that when you talk about the um, science of happiness, I'm guessing you've you've kind of done some. Well, I can I can already tell you've done some reading and and kind of TED talk watching and stuff like that. What, yeah. What's been the most influential things in your journey that you've kind of gone right? That's that's absolutely stand out and that's had a big influence on you. Mm, you know, it's it's hard to say because it's been it's been a long journey yeah um and it's only actually sort of recently that i thought actually i'm very happy with the person i am now uh the dalai lama's book sorry what were you you unhappy with before we get back onto that what what kind of aspects were you seeking to change um let's think i mean relationships with women is obviously a, a big one for a lot of people uh, well, a lot of straight male people and uh, gay female people. Uh, <laughs> so that was a that was a feeling like I had control in you know in a in a kind way of my relationships with sexual partners. That's um that's a thing. Feeling confident outgoing and charismatic and you know friendly and cool that's a thing that i wanted to be since primary school and uh and now i think i can quite confidently say i i am those things i'm a person who's fun to have around yeah i'm trying to think if there's anything else i mean all of these things are like we all have insecurities and things that make us adopt destructive behaviors and it's about overcoming those fundamentally and coming to a point where you can see that in many ways they're constructs in our head and they're not based on reality. They're, all these anxieties we project are fears we have of potential outcomes to situations which quite often are not actually very probable or likely uh, and it's more the tendency to extrapolate that outcome uh, I think that was a misuse of that word. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> like the Mark Twain thing, really, isn't it? Where he said, um, uh, "Lots of terrible." Like, I've, I've, what did he say? I've had lots of worries in my life, but most of them haven't happened, or, or something like that. He <laughs> yeah, said, didn't exactly, he? Exactly. Exactly. There's a good principle of uh, when you're making a choice, look and look at it, and decide whether you're making it because of hope or because of worry. That's interesting. And try and make your choices through hope. Try and have a positive visualization of the future that you're working towards rather than a negative one that you're trying to avoid. Because your negative one probably won't happen anyway. And your positive one can happen if you work for it. That's really interesting. I've never I've never encountered that before in all my reading, but that's I think that's really quite profound because um, I, I mean, I I just, <laughs> go on, sorry, what was that? No, carry on. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just, <laughs> no, I was I'm just, just thinking uh, in terms of myself. I think I think some of my decisions have certainly been fear-based, and uh, I wonder I wonder what would happen if I were to recount some of those decisions and, and, and you know, ask that question consciously, whether I'm doing this for defensive reasons or for more progressive ones. And yeah. have you found that a, a big a big game changer for you? Do you do you ask yourself that question a lot? 
Absolutely, yeah. And and to be clear, this isn't something where you realise it and then it fixes your life. It's a it's a yeah. principle to live by, and that you'll it, usually you see when you look back and you go, oh, actually, I fucked up there because I was thinking about a fear, which meant I was thinking about myself, which meant I wasn't sensitive to the people around me, uh, and that meant that I wasn't providing them with what I could have, and that meant they couldn't provide for me back. Yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, that's 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 one to definitely note down. I mean, that's a big takeaway. I think already from this from this conversation. I think fear does guide us so much, doesn't it? So and much. I, I remember from the the uh, podcast with Dave, he talked about if being such a use a useless yeah. piece of philosophy. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, so, same thing. So coming back to your to your influential reading, then because I took you off track a little bit because um, I got interested in what you were saying, but you were saying the Dalai Lama was... was... Oh, yeah. The, the, now, it's a long time since I've read it, but I remember the Dalai Lama's The Art of Happiness being really good, uh, but bruh, I can't remember what I took from it. Like, this is one of those things where I've had an interest in self-improvement and uh, self-empowerment, I suppose, since my teens since since puberty <laughs> go figure uh, and, uh, and so like sources have been imbibed and you know consumed into myself and my personal philosophy and i can't necessarily cite my sources very easily um it's interesting that you say the dalai lama though because i've been reading a lot of stuff over the past year you know very loosely around kind of buddhist thinking yeah um, which is relatively new to me i have to admit but one of the things that, well, there's two things that I noticed that they say. The first thing is to try and surrender uh, attachment to outcome, which is kind of my big obsession at the moment because I know that um, mm-hmm. being overly worried about what the outcome is going to be tends to twist me out of shape. Yeah. And the other thing is this idea of letting go, which I'm not quite sure how you actually manage it, but it does seem to make sense in terms of surrendering yourself um, and letting go of all these kind of petty concerns. Yeah. Are these kind of things that you've fitted into your life? Are you good at letting go? Are you good at disattaching from outcome? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say yes, but that's only as a sort of matter of principle in that someone says, are you happy? Are you good at these things? I say yes. <laughs> like, we're all bad at them sometimes, you know? Like, um, it, it depends on the individual situation, and I don't know necessarily what all my own insecurities are until I encounter them and they throw a spanner in the works of my life, you know? So what happens when, when you get a spanner in the works of your life? Because I'm thinking happiness is, I almost think about it in a dual sense, like in, in one sense it's this kind of long game, sort of deep-seated, you know, contentedness, I suppose. And then there's these other kind of little firestorms um, where yeah. something goes wrong and you have to kind of crisis manage and and get yourself some power ups to get you out of it. So when something, when you do get that spanner in the works, how do you and how would you advise other people to overcome those little little firestorms? I mean, I had one yesterday just in terms of a work related issue, and I had a bit of a meltdown. So mm-hmm. if you were if you were the the friend on my shoulder at that moment, what kind of things would you advise me to have done in order to overcome the spanner? Well, the, the main one is talk to your friends and like find people who you can be vulnerable with and discuss it. Figure it out. When you're ready, figure out where you fucked up and, and how it's your mistake because that's not easy to do. 
but it empowers you into change and it empowers you to it makes it much easier to move on if you can see where your personal insecurities or personal hang-ups created this situation or how they clashed with somebody else's to create this situation once you've accepted your part uh, you can forgive yourself and you can say okay that version of me in the past was an idiot uh, I'll try not to be that person again and then you can move on okay and it sounds like the forgiving yourself is a is a is a big part of it yeah well I think that's that, that's sort of similar to the 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 Buddhist thing right of living in the moment like the, the yes. past is in the past and yeah you could have done something differently, but hey, if is a useless philosophy, as we were <laughs> saying before. And so just accept that you did that and you learn from it. And actually, that's a big bonus. And you're not going to do that again. Uh, or probably not anyway. <laughs> if you start doing it again, once you've learned from your mistake, you're likely to go, oh, I'm doing that thing again. Yeah. I'm being aggressive because I feel threatened in this ground you know and once once you understand understand what it is that you're worried about you can see the things that threaten you and you can try and ensure that you don't lash out at other people from that so all these kind of um, crises and, and and mini meltdowns and stuff like that th- these are all it's almost like a feedback loop is what you're saying that when you're Absolutely. in that situation you use that as a lesson a life lesson by which you can better understand yourself, better understand your kind of hot buttons, and yeah. then potentially work on those. Absolutely, yeah. We're all... Uh, a great quote I heard the other day is, uh, everybody is out there looking for the one, but no one's trying to become them. <laughs> and I like that. You know, like, you you have a, a life and you have a self, and there is no reason not to make that self the best self that you can possibly be. And there's a great satisfaction in that. How, how does this work in terms of... Because I'm curious about the fact that you're a comedian, especially because we've just been talking about like the Dalai Lama stuff and not atta- attaching to outcome. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I actually you know this stuff that you're talking about, about pushing your comfort zones. I spent yeah. a year doing, probably about a year, doing pretty much the same thing. So if something made me feel uncomfortable, that was like the best reason I could think of to really? actually do the thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I joined a drama group and I, I did a stand-up comedy gig. Um, so I went on one of these six-week courses and then on the on the very last week was the gig. And I have to say it was, it, it went well, thankfully, but it was the most, and I'm a performer anyway, as you know, so I'm used to being in front of audiences and I've done public speaking in the past, so I'm yep, very yep. comfortable on a stage. It was the most terrifying uh, performative thing I've ever done. And I think the reason for that is, because I had no idea whether people were going to laugh. And then if it, the thing about stand-up comedy is that's how you define whether it's good. Really so is. T- two things are going on. First of all, you, you're attached to this outcome that even though people are really lovely and would like to fake, they just can't fake laughter. You know, I nope. do a rubbish song and people will politely clap it anyway because <laughs> people are nice. Yeah. But laughter is such a hard thing to, to fake. So you've got this attachment to outcome where people are, are just, you know, they're, they're just built in such a way that they're going to be honest about their laughter. And secondly, the whole, like, like I just said, the whole thing about comedy is whether it's a good show is defined by someone else. So 
in a sense, you're outsourcing your self-worth as a performer to these bunch of strangers who you've never, you know, probably never met before. Totally. That's got to be that's got to be something that messes with a performer's head when a show goes bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, famously, like uh, the stand-up is hard. Like, <laughs> like, uh, and uh, no, bearing in mind, I I play songs yeah. with my brother. Like, both those things are crutches that make it much less hard than uh, than standing alone with a microphone yeah. and words. You know, like what I do is actually a lot easier than that, and. Um, a lot of stand up a lot of stand ups have something about themselves that they want to change and you know that it is an extreme situation uh like it, one of the most common fears that people have is the fear of public speaking that's uh, right like it comes up all the time in lists because humiliation is awful uh like that's hardwired to feel bad uh, <laughs> even if you never see those people again it's so much of the things we fundamentally do as people are based on social value and social worth. Yeah. Um, so a lot of comedians are trying to do exactly what we're doing and to to go to an extreme place so that they can own that extreme place and feel strong there. So how does it feel for you? Because you say it's easier for you, and yeah, you, I mean you, you you yeah you. I don't know whether you're being kind there or whatever because i'm 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 thinking you have to commit to a song so if you're do you know if you if you if you get to the punchline say the chorus of your song yeah, and you know happened. there's four minutes left of this thing that nobody finds funny yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you are really stuck in there whereas at least with a stand-up you can say well this isn't working i'll move on to my next bit what happens to you when you've just done a terrible gig where you know, and by terrible, it doesn't mean that you've necessarily performed bad, but the audience don't get it, and so that's I mean, how you so define I've done, it. I've done gigs where we've gone on stage and um, and people have walked out and we've had complaints the day wow. after. Like, every comedian has had bad gigs. So how do you and, deal yeah. with that, though? Because, as I so, say, you're, you're outsourcing potentially your self-worth to other people. Yeah, you absolutely are. Like, one of the things I was saying earlier about the, the important things of happiness being... Uh, feeling loved and feeling secure and feeling good at what you do you're putting a big risk on feeling good at what you do yeah uh, and i mean i would stress that we're to some extent always outsourcing our self-worth on other people um and comedy is like a big risk in that way of like when you are succeeding at it you gain a great deal of self-worth of course um, like i have i have pretty high self-esteem because my job doesn't pay that much in money, but it pays in people telling me I'm great. Right. Uh, so, you know, so like... And has that changed who you are to an extent? Has your self-esteem grown by doing the comedy? Yeah, I'm absolutely more confident than I was when I started. And obviously confidence is situational, but um, I have no qualms about being the centre of attention. or You know, I don't have anxiety about these things. Yeah. Because I've been to some... I've failed. I've failed at that hard. And when you fail at things and you learn from them, you cease to fear that failure. Okay, because I've got a bit of a theory around this sort of happiness and attachment stuff. And mm. it's, it's not something I can necessarily do yet, but this is, this is something that's just triggered by what you've said. You said there that you've failed hard. Now, I've, I've got this thing that... If you're comfortable with the worst case scenario, you won't fear it. You know, if you can look it yeah, in the eye and exactly, go, that might exactly. happen and I'm going to be okay with that, that you're not going to fear it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. 
Yeah. So if you were to die again tomorrow, well, big deal. You've died before and lived through it. Uh, I suppose. I suppose so. Oh, sorry. You mean die on stage? Sorry. Die on stage. Sorry. I don't mean. <laughs> I was literally like, I'm not sure died. about that, mate. I'm, 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 into, I'm into Buddhism, but I think I draw the line. At uh, <laughs> yeah, heads back as a ferret. <laughs> <laughs> I would make a great ferret. Um, yeah, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Like. I've had bad gigs recently, and sometimes you can say, look, we maybe could have done more to do a good gig there, but maybe that was just a room full of grumpy people, and the mm-hmm. act on before us was racist, and they didn't, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, and sometimes, sometimes you can permit yourself to say, that was a situation beyond my control. And it's always good to look at it and figure out how you could have done better. There's always something you could do to do better. And in a stage show, in relationships, with friends and with lovers, that you can always you can always look whenever you fail and see how you could do better next time. But uh, but sometimes you can just say, "Oh well." <laughs> so what 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 would you say are your kind of core beliefs about yourself if you were to kind of you know, if you were in like a, I don't want to put you ne- unnecessarily in like a therapist room, so tell me to bog off right. and everything. Yeah, but yeah, I'm just wondering, right. what, what are your core beliefs about yourself now? And how have they changed, say, in the last 10 years? Mm. Um, well, I believe that I'm a kind, good-natured person. Uh, I believe that I'm a very attractive person. And, and, and by ways, attractive, do you mean it in the way that Dave said, or do you mean, do you mean physically, or do you mean kind of um, in a in a rounder sense? In a in a rounder sense, like yeah. I, I bring value to the lives of people around me, and like I I know these things can verge into sounding arrogant. No, no, I, not at all. Not, actually, I'm not really afraid of that. <laughs> um, like I'm because as I was saying, I believe that by knowing these things and being assured in yourself, that's the position where you can. Like, if I know that I'm a valuable person, that means I can focus more of my attention on loving other people. Okay, so in terms of the, in terms of the way... Because I imagine some people would, would like to have that kind of mindset, but, but struggle in terms of thinking, well, how am I valuable to other people? When you look at your own value, how do you actually, um, you know, um, what's the word, like, itemise the value? You know, I provide value in, the, in these particular ways. Well, we're back again to the things we want, feeling loved, feeling secure, feeling good at what we do. If you're a person who makes people feel loved, makes them feel like they have someone to rely on and compliments them and tells them when they're doing well at what they're trying to do, they will value you in their life. You're you're a good person for them to have around because you make them feel happy and supported and you help them keep going when times get tough. Uh, And in turn, those people will therefore want to actively want to be there to support you back because that means that they can secure that alliance and and keep you in their life do you think there's ever a danger because i've known this in terms of like having conversations with people especially after dave's podcast where they talk we were talking about the value stuff and one of the things that i heard in terms of feedback is sometimes you can give value and not get it back from a, a particular person so you're the one always investing and mm. they choose not to invest back in you is that is that a danger maybe that people struggle with? Maybe. Uh, if you are truly strong and secure in yourself, you'll be okay with that situation. 
Okay, let, let's let's have a quick delve into security because I, I wrote the three things down that you said: love, secure, and good at what you do. And I I kind of understood the first two. Can we can we delve into that middle one? What what do you actually mean by security? Um, I mean this list I'm a little bit plucked out of the air, but let's look at it anyway. That's okay. Uh, I think by security I mean feeling like if things go wrong, you want to feel loved and you also want to feel like that love is not going anywhere. So that's what I mean by security. To I feel see. supported and like you have backups. And if your house burns down tomorrow, like you'll be okay. Got you. So uh, because that means you don't have to worry, right? Like if you if you have that security, then there's less to be anxious about. So I might think, you know, if I lose all my money and... Um, my landlord says I've got to leave the house, etc. I, I can actually think of the reasons why I'm going to be secure anyway because of the support network that I might have, um, because of other kind of systems that might kick into place. And I would I would kind of look at those and and get in touch with those things which which would give me security. I'm talking financial in this case, obviously, but it, it would it would work with emotional stuff as well. Absolutely, yeah, same thing, yeah. Like knowing that you could move back in with your family if, if your house fell through. Uh, and when I say family, like obviously not all of us have a family, but if we're in a position to, we can build familial relationships, platon- strong platonic relationships. So we have people. I know that if my living situation fell through entirely before I became homeless I know I have friends who would let me sleep on their couch while I figured it out Excellent, so you don't actually fear the whole homelessness thing because you feel as though you've got some security in your network Absolutely, and obviously I don't want that to happen uh, but but I don't need to fear it Um, and now that comes from having been in a in the fortunate position to be able to offer support to those people in the past and not all of us a lot of us have a a lot of our own stuff to deal with and that puts us in a worse position for being able to help others uh, which is the argument for dealing with your own stuff when you can okay that's 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 really interesting i mean I, I'm, I'm batting a couple of things in the air at the minute because there's, there's loads of good stuff you're saying here the first thing i'm thinking is it reminds me um what you just said and what you said earlier on about about the worst case scenario stuff it mm. reminds me a little bit of some stoic philosophy um and i was listening to tim ferris who's big into the stoics and he was talking about um this kind of three column thing that he does where he'll he'll look at his worst case scenario and then he'll assess after that, you know, what are the chances of this actually happening? And then, and I think this is where it links into security, he talks about then assessing if this worst case scenario happened, how quickly could I get back to the position that I'm actually in now? Yeah. You know, what would I actually do? So it, it kind of reminds me of that. Do you, do you follow kind of stoic philosophy at all, or is, is that just a happy accident? Uh, I've not encountered that before. I mean, I, th- I think all of these, th- in the same way that all religions essentially preach love, uh, <laughs> all, all these philosophies are the same few ideas, right, that we're batting around in different words, and the key is to find the words that make sense to you. What do you think is the best way? Because uh, one of the key things from what you're saying, Ed, is, and you, you said it very quickly, you said that you have great people around you, and you, and you keep on coming back to this idea of, of love and security both of which seem very heavily tied into the extent and depth of your network so Mm. 
if you were to give people advice on on because i think it's quite difficult to extend one's network especially say someone of my age and i was saying a similar thing to dave what 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 would you advise people to do if say we made it our mission over the next 12 months to not only extend our network but to deepen it i mean essentially that comes down to having the the faith to be there for people if you like so many of us are, are crying out for help all the time if you're keeping an eye out for people who are saying i'm struggling today and metaphorically speaking you're able to give them a hug offer to talk to them about it to be there for them that will deepen your connection to that person rapidly because you're offering them something that is incredibly valuable to them at a time when they need it and uh and they'll be eager to have you in their life and to be able to return that at some point what's the danger of of creating a dynamic which is very one-sided where you're the helper and they're the helped i mean so what i'd say about that is that might come up and if you can't handle it it is acceptable sometimes it's the right thing to to just let that person fade out of your life if you're not in a position to provide the support that they need you're not in a position to provide the support they need and that's what it comes down to um but i would say that really what we want to be doing is always trying to work on ourselves to the position where we don't need to receive much love in our day-to-day lives because we are okay with everything that's happening and we're not worrying so we don't need much support and that puts us in a position to give it and if you are a person for whom many people uh, n- like need you, that's that's no bad thing. You are a positive force in the world, and that's the thing to be proud of. So, in terms of getting to that point, the, the thing I'm picking up from you, Ed, is that you really need to get yourself sorted because once you get yourself sorted and you're not constantly looking inward with all these neuroses etc you can actually be very outward looking and be of genuine value to the world and the people Mm. that are in the world so i suppose the million dollar question is how do we actually get to that point whereby we calm our own waters and to the point where we're not the one who's constantly seeking assistance but feel comfortable to to give because we're okay and we need less what's the process of getting to to that particular vantage point uh i mean it's a process of looking at looking at yourself i think like we we have these fears that cause us to make choices which are irrational and uh that's okay it's good to accept that and I suppose, I mean, I suppose essentially therapy, like there is no shame in, uh, when I say therapy, I don't necessarily mean going to a professional, you can do it with your friends, but when you do things in your life and you become unhappy, figure out your own part in that unhappiness. What did you do to get yourself into that position? And really try, really try and be honest with yourself, uh, which is sometimes not easy because it will hurt to accept the mistakes you made and it is difficult to look at yourself we have a, so much of a tendency to become angry at people and to externalize the blame yes, but if I you agree. can really accept the bit that you did and come to terms with it 
the weight just comes off your shoulders so quickly. I think that's quite a powerful thing that you've just said in terms of externalizing the blame because a person that I'm just a huge fan of, I mean, I've read loads around this stuff and a, a few a few people sort of stand out. There's like two or three who I really kind of think are, are have nailed it really. Mm. And there's a, a guy who, who died a couple of years ago, unfortunately, called Marshall Rosenberg. We did a podcast all about nonviolent communication. And that's his theory, basically, that yeah. when we're... When any of our own needs are unmet, we 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 get alienated by them by by blaming outwards and and saying that somebody else is the cause of it when really they're only the stimulus. They're just kind of inadvertently touching our own pain. And so he yeah. encourages us to look inwards. And when we're angry or having any hurtful feeling, actually, to to think, well, what what is the need in me at this moment that is being unmet? And yes. he says that's the starting point, which sounds very similar to what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna. I've just written down his name because I'm gonna look at look at his writings. I, I thoroughly agree with that. There's a, a load of him on YouTube, by the way, and I'll link to it right. in the show notes. And and there's a past podcast, a couple of shows ago, where we actually went into nonviolent communication, which was the thing he developed. Um, yeah. So you might be interested in that as well. Um, yeah, I mean that's like that reminds me again when you were talking to Dave and you were talking about uh, improv and exchanges, right? Yes. Now, uh, improv theory worth everybody studying. If you are uncomfortable in an improv scene, that's what often leads to blocking. And you see people blocking in conversation. Like if you say to somebody, uh, I love you, and they say, thanks. Yeah. Right? Now that is, that is essentially a, a block, right? Like that's a, that is in itself a... Yeah, can I just explain what a block is for those who don't know improv? Yeah. A block basically is where is where your scene partner will present you with a reality and you will kind of deny that reality and get in the way of it. So, for instance, I'm, I might be in a scene with you and I might come in and say, hello, mum, where's my sandwiches? And in that moment, I've actually invested you with the character of my mum. And what you really should do is, is take that on board and be my mum in that scene, whereas a block would be, I'm not your mum. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So, in oh. in terms of in terms of conversation here, what mm. you're saying is that if I were to say I love you, Ed, and you were to say thanks, you regard that as a block as well. Um, I mean, blocks are also kind of a scale, right? Like, it's not necessarily a block. A block would be for me to say no, you don't. I suppose, but the the kindest thing to be say for me to say is, oh, thanks, man. I I love you too. Yeah, uh, and. It's a bit like if somebody, here's a good one, if you're a performer, someone comes up to you after a show and they say, I really love that song, that was great. <laughs> yeah. And we have such a tendency to say, oh, I messed up a bit on the second verse. Oh, yeah. But that, that is thinking about yourself and that's, that's your own fear standing in the way. What that person is trying to do is to give you a gift and what they want you to do is say, <laughs> thank you, that means a lot to me. Do you know, I learned this lesson. Um, we, I think we first met when I was running the music nights at uh, Par Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had exactly this tendency. People would come up to me and say, I really enjoyed it. And I would debate them. I'd be like, I'd yeah, be yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. no, you're, you're a bloody idiot. How can you like it? How can you like what I've just done? That was terrible. Yeah. And they would, they would be so dissatisfied. And I watched another performer. I can't remember who it is now. It was a, a female singer. And after the show, I, I saw someone approach her and, and give her a compliment. And she gave him the loveliest big grin and said, oh, thank you very much. And I thought, I'm going to do that in future because that, yeah. that was a return of the gift. That was actually yeah. receiving his gift and giving him something lovely back. 
And that's, that's a perfect example, right, of how once you're beyond your own fears, once you're not judging your performance and trying to show the world that you're not arrogant and that you're not, that you don't think you're all that, once you get beyond that, that person is trying to make a connection with you. And the kindest thing you can do is return that connection. And that's how you ex- expand your circle. That's how, you, I mean, in that case, that's how you make fans. And that's how you make connections. And that's how you become a valuable force in other people's lives. Like they've, they've seen something in you they value. They're trying to reach out and connect with you. And to let them in is the kindest thing to do. And that's the thing that will make you most happy. Do you know what I think you're saying here? And correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds very much like you're saying, be comfortable being you. Because mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's it. No, when you're talking about like you, you can say thanks because you're not worried about you know will I look arrogant or will I look like this or or do I have to behave in this way? It's kind of like dropping all that shit, isn't it? And just being comfortable with you and your own responses. Do you think that's kind of at the core of of what makes you a happy person? Because you can just be you, and then. And then let everything else take care of itself because you're not putting so much energy into managing the character of you, but you're just being the personality that you actually are. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this, again, to call back to the the one you did with Dave on on value, um, no one else gives a fuck about you. Like, <laughs> like it, it, and it's, it's, it's fun to state that in such harsh terminology because it's really good to rem- like to to hit yourself with that sometimes and remember it we are all constantly worrying about ourselves and what people think of us and no one thinks negatively of you hardly ever and if they do what they're actually worried about is themselves and a reflection upon themselves so so give us an example of that because i i think i do fear the judgments of others so let's say somebody judges me for something um Let's say, for instance, I don't know. Let's let's say I'm I'm let let's say my character becomes a bit bigger than they're comfortable with, for instance, and so they think, oh, he's a he's a he's up himself, he's a dickhead, or or some other kind of label. Um, mm-hmm. What's going on for them? Do you think in that in that moment, rather than it being about me? Well, I mean, it, 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 obviously, there's a vast number of. Uh, possibilities maybe maybe they're threatened by your large character maybe your large character is uh disturbing the environment around you in some way making people uncomfortable at a party and maybe that's affecting people they care for um and the, the the best thing for them to do is to politely confront you about it i'm a little lost sorry what were we talking about <laughs> well um, I, I just think that I'm I'm thinking about, well, I'm partly thinking about what you've just said in terms of when you accept somebody's thanks, you know, you're you're kind of, you're able to be like that because you're not editing yourself, I think is essentially what you were saying. You're not, you're not trying to manage how am I going to appear to the outside world? You're dropping all that stuff. And so you're able just to be you. And yeah, and so instead, instead of worrying about you to care for other people. Yeah. I suppose I'm playing with my own insecurities here, Ed, because mm. I think I worry, I think I edit myself, you see. And so yeah. I'm wondering, in terms of growing to the place where now you're, you don't do that so much, what were the kind of, mm, I see. What, what did you let go of in order to be edit free or edit left? Edit so right? I, I think most commonly, if so, essentially, if you are being a big person, 
the chances that anyone around you even cares are pretty minimal. More, more, more likely than them thinking uh, that person is arrogant, they're more likely to be thinking that person is impressive. <laughs> like, mm. because we're always looking at other people and comparing ourselves and we only really see the good of other people that they present. And, I mean, yeah, people are complex. <laughs> this kind of thing is complex. But the point is, you, it's not worth worrying about whether people have an issue with you or not. If they do, they'll bring it up and you can address it and you can look at yourself and figure out what you did that hurt people and attempt to change that so that you're being a better influence in the world. Okay. So do you have a happiness practice I'm curious about? Do you have something that you kind of do every day which just kind of maintains your your level of internal well-being? Um, I mean, all the classic things. I get to work on things I love. Yes. That's great. Uh, if I'm in a low point, which as I said before, we all are, like I may consider myself a very happy person, but I have bad times. So if I'm in a low point, you do the things like making sure you go out and you eat well and you exercise. Um, that's, you know, just trying to use your logical understanding of your brain to dominate the emotional side, which you can't, but you can try and control it and try and influence it. So when, when you're feeling low, your, your kind of back pocket strategies, if you like, are are being in company and making sure that your physical well-being is cared for. Yeah, anything, anything you can do in a low time. Uh, and talk talk about it. Absolutely do your best to be open and discuss it and figure out why you're feeling low. Because harboring negative emotion usually comes from a, a mismatch between what you think should have happened and what you would expect to have happened and what did happen. And your model of the world, your understanding of things isn't working and that's angering or saddening. And to talk about it can help you figure out the truth and accept the real world and live there. I guess as well, given that what you were saying before is that we, because I was asking about, you know, why aren't people saying that they're happy? Is it our gauge that's wrong? And you said that we can, we, we see the kind of downsides of ourselves, but people mm. only present the upsides of themselves. And so that's what we compare to. To what extent do you think it's it's almost like a public service? It's like almost like a, a social duty to expose the vulnerabilities as well? Uh, of yourself or others? <laughs> yeah, no, of yourself. Um, of others. Of yourself. Like, yeah, of, others, of ourselves, just so that, you know, it allows people to kind of go, oh, actually, you know, first of all, I, I'm not comparing with just the happy side of Ed, which is the bits that appear on Facebook, for instance, because we're in this Facebook culture yeah, where, yeah, where we share all these happy things, but where we're crawl, crawled in a corner, and there's no photographs of that, really, is there? Um, yeah, I really think that is, that is a, a... It's not necessarily a duty, but it is a behavior that will make you happier, because by... Finding, if you find someone who's having a bad time and you open up to them and share your bad times, then they can open up to you and share theirs and you can figure them out together. You can both come to a greater understanding of your world and you've made a connection with another person and you can be there for each other in the future. How do you make new friends, Ed? Um, 
So you've got your social circle. How do you actually um, get more people into that social circle? What's your kind of process, you know, either conscious or, or not, when you when you reflect on it? Talk to them. <laughs> do, you talk um, to, do, you, do you start conversations with strangers, or is it kind of people that you're introduced to? Would you kind of, you know, chat to someone that you were just, you know, in a cafe yeah, with? Yeah, I think I converse with strangers, only if, only if they're in a position where it seems like that's a thing they want. But yeah. m- many of us want that, you know, obviously... Uh, I don't start conversations with young women walking home at night. Uh, you know that's uh, yeah. that's not that's not kind. Yeah. Um, but if I'm sat next to someone at a bar, then sure, I'll start a conversation with them. They're, especially if they're sat alone at a bar. Uh, if you if you're interacting with someone over a shop counter, um, have some. <laughs> That just reminded me. This is uh, this is sort of relevant. But I popped into the post office this morning to post a letter, yeah. and uh, I've just moved from London back to my, the small town where I grew up, and it's a small rural post office. And there was a certificate on the wall that said "Certificate of Valor." And just uh, just as we were dealing with the letter, I just said to the woman behind the counter, "I was like, well, that's very impressive. Uh, what's the, what's the Certificate of Valor for?" And she said, "Oh, there was an armed robbery." Wow. And I was like, "Oh, wow, whoa! I didn't hear about that. When did that happen?" And she looked at the certificate and went. 1990. <laughs> oh, the pace of life. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, there's an example of, of popping into a post office to post a letter. Why not make that woman's day slightly more pleasant by having a fun conversation? Absolutely. Uh, a yeah. little bit of improv, a little improv conversation, have a laugh together. That's nice. And give us an example of the bar thing. So let's say you sat next to this guy at a bar and he sat there on his own. And How would you approach conversation with this guy and how do you drop the kind of fear that he'll be like, do you mind, pal? I'm, I'm just trying to have a drink here. Leave me alone. Well, if he says that, you say, oh, sorry, mate. Yeah. And that's the end of that. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, worst case scenario, pretty minor. Um, and also... What's what's your opening gambit to to a stranger like that? You know, to because it, it's almost like we we have our we're all together in this public space, but we all have these little bubbles and walls around us that are mm. invisible, but they kind of they feel sort of real. So it's it, it's something to just breach that, isn't it? So what's your what's your what's a standard Ed style conversational gambit that would get you <laughs> chatting with a stranger? Hey, baby. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know, just like. If if any event happens around you, you can comment on it. Um, that's that's a nice way to start a conversation. Uh, if you feel like you already know them from somewhere, you can ask them about that. Ask them what they're doing there. Uh, I mean, the point is, this person, a person sat alone at a bar, very probably wants connections with other people because that's why. Otherwise, you'd be sat at home alone drinking. That's um, true. And so you can start a conversation with them about anything. Just imagine they're already your friend and start a conversation about whatever you would say to a friend. That's a really interesting approach, you know, because I, one of the things that I, I did in my life, and I've, I've not written about it anywhere, but I probably will soon on my blog, is, is stuff around what I call um, life scripts. And it's this sense of like certain programmed things that I had, which which steered me to act in ways that didn't serve me rather than ways that did. And I kind of viewed this almost like, all right, imagine my life is a movie and what happens to this character of me by the end of the movie. So I'm behaving in these sort of edited ways now. 
but by the end of the movie I'm going to behave kind of like that so I I would sort of act in that sort of way even though I wasn't there yeah I would act at the in a in an end of the movie way as much as possible and then yeah. the experience kind of changed it so it's it's interesting that you're saying well if I want to be friends with this person I mean it's 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 it seems so obvious now you've said it Ed but you're basically saying act like a friend yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> and you know what's it's really not rocket funny science well. is it but it's so it's so, <laughs> it's so it's so simple, but it's so true. Like yeah. you're demonstrating to them that you can be a friend to them, and yeah. they want a friend. Here's one, uh, <laughs> and and it's easy. Why wouldn't they? Um, there's a really good thing that uh, me and Tommy, my brother, did a while ago. There was some reason why we wanted to infiltrate uh, infiltrate a group of people and be their friend uh, I think they offered us some kind of career thing that we wanted so you know friendship with these people would be advantageous to us and uh, and so we just started hanging around them and you know acting like we we're already their friend and at first people are like who's this guy and you can see them being like what's he being so friendly for and then after a bit they kind of they kind of forget that that was happening and they'll be like oh yeah it's him he's our friend <laughs> it's like it's like we're like we are all actually that stupid <laughs> but if someone's if someone's your friend they're your friend if someone is there for you when you need them if someone laughs with you and shares good times with you that's what a friend is and if someone walks into your life ready to be a friend sure it takes a little time to trust them and to learn that that, that that's a consistent behavior but if that behavior is consistent then uh bang that's a friend <laughs> yeah I've, i did something similar you see and i still do this um i i, I thought well, what does what does a friendship look like what do friends do together and i was thinking well they meet each other quite regularly um mm. when they're not meeting they'll stay in touch by text and so i i kind of um i give myself little reminders so if i've not been in touch with a friend like in the last few days I'll, a little reminder will come up on my phone and i'll go oh yeah nice. i've not i've not contacted chris for a while i'll i'll drop him a text so it it's kind of i've done a similar thing in terms of engineering the end point and making sure that i kind of live that and it it, it has nurtured um, a lot of my friendships into something quite a bit deeper good man yeah like that's that's great and you know that's the thing where you making that effort now will mean it's there for you if you need it later i want to talk to you about a story that dave told um because when he when he told me this story i i was i was laughing so hard um <laughs> and i could imagine you you know knowing you um to have done this but I want to talk a little bit, you see, about, about dropping the fear of judgment. And Dave was talking in, in, in the, the podcast that he was in about this story where you'd just dress up in mad things. <laughs> and he recounts yeah. the story where you, you show up dressed in nothing but a bedsheet kind of, <laughs> kind of safety pinned. And you'd walked all the way to his house. Then you went to the train station with him and got on the train. Yeah. Uh, was, was this kind of an... Is, have you done these is this how basically that that you've been able to get rid of the fear of judgment of other people because 100% yeah you've you've tested it basically yeah because that's a like I've, I've been there right like I've walked the streets in a bedsheet uh, <laughs> and so you know if you've if you've got a problem with me I don't I don't really give a fuck uh, yeah. and you know like and that's not a <clears throat> I think it's always quite good to be like I don't give a fuck kindly like, yes. I am so sorted in myself that I'm able to not give a fuck what you think about me, but also love you. 
Yeah. And that's that's the fundament of my philosophy. So, yeah, put yourself out there. I got a good one I remember the other day was, um, I'm still really proud of this, and I've forgotten I've done this. And if, <laughs> if my kid had done this, I'd be proud of them. Uh, I used to, in high school, people called me Jesus because I had long hair, you know. Yeah. Jesus, one well, is one of the classic nicknames, right? <laughs> I got bullied for it, and then one day, oh, on non-school uniform day, I went into school dressed as Jesus. Wow! <laughs> and like, I look back on that and think, well done, Ed. Like that—that that is baller. Like you owned that nickname. Like who's bullying you now? No one, yeah. because it's just a way of saying, in a fun, confident, having a good time way don't give a fuck and you can't touch me with the bullying yeah and that's not an aggressive thing you know yeah. like that's that's not uh there's no ill will there you, the only reason you're bullying me is because high school is hard and you're trying to get yourself up in status by pushing other people down yeah um and you know incidentally that doesn't that doesn't really work like that's we're all trying to be higher in the ladder of status and if you really want to if you really want to do that, the way is to be above the whole game. I love that thing you've just said, though. I, I don't care what you think about me, but I love you. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a pretty cool philosophy of life, Ed, I would say. Yeah, I think it is. I like it. It works for me. So I'm, I've been kind of scribbling um, little notes because I'm, I'm aware we've, we've been chatting now for an hour. It's been fantastic. And I, I just wanted to kind of um, sum up some of the things that you say and then give you a chance to kind of correct me. But, you mm. know, very early on, I think it was the first thing you, you said where you said, like, you're, you're kind of, you feel happy and why. And you, you listed a number of things. And I thought, well, you just nailed it there, really, because you, you talked about feeling a sense of privilege, like gratitude, I suppose, that was not rather than privilege having great people around you, not getting sucked into weird comparisons between you and other people, um, having social connections, being passionate about the work that you do. And then over the course of the conversation, the other things I've noticed is that you do seem to have a, a genuine sort of curiosity and empathy about other people, and you drop the fear of judgment that allows you to just be you without any sort of fear. Does that kind of sum up your whole kind of recipe stick it in a bowl mix it together and you get a good big cake of happiness yeah i think so i think i mean I, I think what i fundamentally say is work on yourself you're always a project you can always be a better person and the fact that probably the fact that you're listening to a podcast like this means you're trying to work on yourself and good on you yeah. uh, don't go easy on yourself ideally find a friend who will who's willing to help you say when you've been a dick because you, <laughs> you're a dick sometimes. I'm a dick sometimes. Always, sometimes, our own shit gets in the way of us loving other people. And when we stop loving other people, other people stop loving us. And when we're not loved, it's harder to be happy. Yeah, and that's the thing I missed out, actually, in this little summation. It's the whole thing of love and be loved, isn't it? Is It's very central to your life. I'd, I'd say that is, for my world philosophy, that is absolutely the ticket is yeah give love you give a little love and it all comes back to you na 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 na, na. <laughs> well do you know on the love stuff how do, you, how do you love people who are not acting in a way that is loving towards you do you do you basically give them some empathy in your own mind so that it doesn't touch you or have you got some other strategy or, or maybe you don't love people who are being a bit nasty if you understand where somebody is coming from you will always feel for them 
you will always have empathy if you truly understand their situation. Yeah. And so even even people that we turn into symbols of evil, you know, like even even Hitler grew up in the Weimar Republic. I was dealing with something that affected negatively people around him and trying to make the world a better place. And that's hard to accept uh, for some people. But I mean, one should never go to Hitler as a point for comparison. But the, the point is, as soon as, as, soon as Hitler what you're saying. It's over, the, the point is, if someone's being mean to you, yeah. it's because they're not strong enough to be kind to you. You know, you're going to love the Marshall Rosenberg stuff because he talks about uh, getting us to drop our enemy images. And what he says is, I always enjoy human beings much more, he says, um, when I don't listen to what they think, don't listen to what they say, but just get in touch with what they feel and what they need. Mm, because beautiful. every every kind of judgment or criticism or nastiness or whatever that comes from someone, he regards it as a tragic expression of an unmet need. Tragic because they're saying it in such a way that it's it's making it you know least likely that that need will get met. Yeah, yeah, that is, and that's the thing. You know, it's our it's our it's our cycles of misunderstanding the way reality works and the way other people work that cause us to behave in ways that don't get us what we want. So I'm I'm guessing then that it's quite hard for for anyone to get Ed Croft to take something actually personally i mean obviously there'll be things that you don't like but in terms of the reflection of it is it quite difficult for you to think well you know to take something personally some sort of judgment or insult because you'll always see where the other person is coming from in terms of their own little crisis it doesn't happen often it does happen though like uh, and you know absolutely i want to keep stressing that while i consider myself a happy person sometimes i'm sad and that's yeah. fine um and sometimes people hurt me and and I get angry, uh, <laughs> you know. Like uh, I'm not, I'm not painting myself as some kind of god. Uh, yeah. I, well, I mean, I should, I should, though, shouldn't I? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty great. Uh, but, <laughs> but no, like, uh, yeah, people, people can hurt me. I, I have those insecurities, and they are holes. And I, I try to be open and vulnerable. And sometimes you clash with someone, and they, and they kick you in the nuts. And it hurts and you get angry at them until you understand why why it's your fault in part and why they were afraid and why they did that. And once you understand those two things, you can forgive them and you can forgive yourself and the problem goes away. I wanted to ask you actually, because you mentioned uh, very briefly and then I'll, I'll let you go shortly, I promise, but you mentioned that you've tried happiness meditation. I'm interested in what that actually is and I'm also interested in whether you actually still do any form of meditations to this day. Um, I think I use meditation occasionally as one of those things of uh, a bit like going for a run in the morning, you know, like it's a, yeah. it's a nice thing for sorting yourself out when times are hard. So I don't I don't practice it regularly. Um, but it, I mean, essentially, as I perceive it, meditation comes down to focusing on the things that are there now being present in the moment. And so essentially being grateful for the fundamental beauty of life like like it's it's really great uh, <laughs> and um how do you get in touch with that though because uh, it's it's i don't know whether you've traveled a journey on that but sometimes that gratitude is difficult sometimes that gratitude is is elusive it's almost like 
I need a reminder. Life is shit, right? Like that yeah. happens. Sometimes life is shit, uh, and it's hard to be grateful when life is shit. True, but um, sometimes life is just mundane, and so we forget to be grateful. You know, we we flick the switch and the light comes on, and well, the light always comes on. So why should we even notice it? But it's really quite amazing that at ten o'clock at night in the pitch dark, I can get light in order to read a book or whatever. But you know, we in the mundane in, in the mundaneness of life, we. We can we can just forget to be grateful. So mm. how how do you stay in touch with the gratitude, and how would you recommend other people kind of drop out of that, take everything for granted stage, and just step into a place of gratitude again? Uh, well, I I keep a list of things I love. That's helpful. Uh, it's also helpful for knowing who you are. It helps. I think it helps you accept. The person you are much more. If is, you, it, is this a daily list or like just an ongoing list? Like it's just an ongoing list. It exists on my computer. I have a I have a folder on my computer called Life Skills, and that uh, that is a summary of of just you know things that help me be good at life to remind me of these philosophies and stuff. And uh, and one of them is just a, a list that says I love ghost stories. I, I love comedy songs. Uh, I love I love narrative structure theory. I love figuring out how art affects people and how art works. Like why why do stories make us feel feel things? <laughs> like these are the things I love. And so having that list sometimes, if I'm like, I can be like, oh look, I've not done that in a while. I love yeah. that. Let's have a look at that. Um, That's that so- helps. That's so interesting because there's a writer called Jane McGonagall. I don't know if you've come across her. Um, she's yeah. a she's a video game person, and she wrote this book called Super Better. And she encourages us to live our life almost like a video game to gamify our life, Brilliant. so that when we're, I mean, I've, I've just written about it on on one of my blogs actually. I love games. Um, That's another one of my things. Love games. Love game design theory. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you this will this will suit you, I think. Then because what you do is you place yourself as a superhero. Um, and you place your problem as some sort of like um, villain, you know, in that sort of comic <laughs> book genre. So when I was having difficulty um, with sleep, I had this thing I was battling that um, was called the wake up gremlin. So I could picture this horrible little green thing that was waking me up and had an agenda of its own and all that sort of stuff. Um, but one of the things she talks about, which is why I'm telling you all this weird stuff, is she says in games what a character will have when they're low on energy or low on happiness or however the game is formulated, they'll have things called power-ups. So they mm-hmm. can they can run to a particular part of the maze, for instance, and then their energy increases. And these things in games called power-ups. And she advises us to have a list of our own power-ups so that whenever we're feeling low, we can go to it. And it's, it's what you just described there. It's, it's your yeah. love list. So yeah, they're, they're kind of like your power-ups, aren't they, where you will go to that and say... Right, okay, I love narrative structure. Let's have a little read of that, or let's yeah, play a game. Read or a whatever. book on screenwriting theory and uh, yeah. get excited about something. And and that you know what that fundamentally does is these things you get excited about. They key into things you've already been thinking about. They give you ideas. They get you inspired, and they give you hope for the future. And like we were saying earlier, to be hopeful for the future and not to be fearful is uh, is nice. Feels yeah. good. Um, I have to ask you know what what what's on, what else is on your life skills list? Other than this thing, list of stuff that you love. Uh, what else is in there? That make you good at life. Well, my, help you I'm, along. I'm on my laptop. If I, I'm going to tab into it now and have yeah. a look. It means you're going to get some keyboard sounds probably. That's cool. The speaker. Uh, let's see what is in my life skills folder. So one moment. Just finding it here. 
I mean, if there's anything private, you don't have to share it, but obviously it it would be... uh... Well, I'm a big fan of sharing my private self. Well, I hoped you'd say that, to be honest. Um, I was being polite. (laughs) I'm going to read you... I'm uh, I'm going to read you the... There are seven files in here. Six, seven. I'm going to read you them, the titles of these files aloud. So the first one is called Books I Want. Yeah. Uh, and that's just a list of books that have echoed me. The second one's called Clothing. That's a, a description of my personal style, just because that's a thing I like to keep an eye on. Wow. The third one, Favorite Lyrics. That's uh, song lyrics that resonate me, with me in some way. I just like to collect those. Yeah. See what sticks with me. Uh, the next one's called Happiness. Um, that's, a, that's about theory of happiness. Uh, the next one's Identity, and that's just me, who I am. Uh, and oh, I'll put a note next to that on the superhero thing that triggered something. Uh, and the next one's sexual theory foreplay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's um, that's essentially you know enjoying enjoying sex, being a good lover, and yeah. uh, having confidence and pride in your own sexual self. And the other one after that is sexual theory seduction, which is uh, <laughs> much the same thing. Right. Mm. Uh, well, I'm really curious about what's in the happiness one, and also what's in the in the identity one. Can I can I dig a little bit deeper? Yeah, I mean the happiness one is mostly what we've been talking about today. Yeah. Uh, let me just have a look through that for any little nice things that I've not uh, talked about. It's a little unstructured, but uh, it says to be happy, be loved. To be loved, give out love. Uh, it says accept blame, make choices through hope or worry. I mean, it's literally everything we've been talking about today. There's nothing in there that we've not really covered. Yeah. Uh, it's about not being afraid and about accepting yourself. And identity, uh, that is the other file that I was talking about. So it's things things about me, things I believe about myself, things I love, uh, and things that I want to make and create. So what kind of things are you believing about yourself? Because I think, I think our sense of identity might be quite closely tied into happiness. And again, you don't have to share anything private, but I'm curious so, if, if anybody else wanted to kind of recreate this kind of life skills thing or, or, or really get in touch with who they are. That, that would yeah, give people yeah. a very solid foundation, I think, wouldn't it, in the face of other people's judgment? So this is the interesting thing is the first thing on the list of who I am is essentially my, my superhero, right? So it's the... It's wow. the uh, which is a, an entire coincidence, um, but mine is—I've always felt a strong connection to uh, the Jack of Hearts. That's kind of how I see myself. So tell me about the Jack of Hearts because I don't know that character. Oh uh, well, so it's a—I mean, it's a card in a deck of cards. Oh, see. Um, uh, but also, like the Jack is a, a young, cheeky man, and <laughs> uh, and the Hearts is the suit of emotional availability and openness. Yeah. Um, I've also got myself listed. I'm a swashbuckler bard, if we're talking in Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> terms, and uh, also Orpheus. Um, that's uh, the, the Greek myth character who was the, the musician, right? Who, who made Hades, as in the underworld, cry. Uh, he went. He went to Hades seeking his lost love, Eurydice. After she died, he refused to accept her death and. Uh, went down there to get her back and that's that's a thing that i adopted through uh my my ex helen uh we met in a play playing orpheus and eurydice i and see that was the beginning i say we met that's when we hooked up basically yeah. that was the beginning of a long relationship which for me follows their story and uh and now i see myself as orpheus post the death of eurydice out in the world and uh 
and that's a that's a nice character. There's I feel a, a link to that character. So I have this kind of superhero image of myself that it's just nice sometimes to be able to say that's the ideal me that I am trying to be. I love that. I love the idea as well. Look, I mean that's really. Um... It's really easy for anybody to do that, isn't it? To to kind of hook themselves to to somebody they admire in popular culture, like a, a character, a superhero, or or mm. whatever, and 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 tie their identity to that kind of aspect of a person because it's it doesn't involve any great psychological theories. You can just tie your ideal self to something and and have that solid foundation going forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it's good to it's good to be able to look at yourself as well. It helps you accept also, I think, when when you fuck up and and when you're not as good a person as you could be. It helps, I think, to go well. That's in the past, and in the future is the jack of hearts. Yes, and I think that's very similar to how I use my script stuff as well. Mm, yeah, exactly, exactly. Similar because thing. I have the end of the movie, and in, in so I'm not tying it to this, but I've got like an idealized version of myself. And so when I reflect on on my what I call my winning script, you know, my new script, my healthy script, I think of all the things that the healthy version of me at the end of the movie would do, much as you're comparing yourself to, say, the Jack of Hearts or the Swashbuckler Bard, which is just fantastic. Yeah, well, it's very, you know, it's a very personal thing. So uh, that is all, that is almost a Dungeons and Dragons character because that's something else I love. And uh... yeah. It's for me. It's not for like this. This file is not really intended for other people to see. I don't mind showing it to people, but yeah. no one has ever seen this file. Wow. Well, I'm very appreciative that you shared That's it. That's all right, with... dude. Yeah. Um, and then, so underneath that uh, superhero list, uh, there are three things written in a in a row, and uh, I'm going to read them to you because, as I said, I'm very pleased with the person I am, and I have no shame in showing it. Cool. Uh, so it says, "I'm great at being emotionally open and making others open up emotionally." Under that, it says, I'm a very attractive man and a great lover. And Excellent. under that, it says, I'm great at being fun, funny, li- and a likable stage performer. I'm good at being emotionally open on stage. Excellent. And that's a and, big important thing, isn't it? Being emotionally open on stage. Yeah, I mean, it's th- those are things to do with my art form and the thing yeah. I want to create in the world. And those are my tools for making the world a better place. You know, my worst gigs have always been when I've gone on in fear because I think what happens is I've closed down to the audience because I've feared them slightly. Yeah. Whereas typically my gigs go lovely because, you know, I'm very open to them and they're like my mate, even if I've not met them before. But certain mm. gigs that have really crashed, that's what—that's the thing that they've had in common that I've I kind a, of... I a strong myself. theory about this. One of the, you know, as a, as a lover of uh, stage psychology, um, as an audience watching, and this really ties into what we've been saying, as an audience watching, if the performer on stage is confident, you know that everything's okay. If they are Absolutely. open and willing to be vulnerable and confident, if something goes wrong and they cover it up, like and they like they deal with it and just carry yeah. on with the show, when that happens, you can feel the audience relax. Like, Absolutely. The mic doesn't work, the performer's not bothered, they're like, everything's fine. But yeah. until that point, they're thinking... What if everything goes wrong? This person is in a, in a vulnerable, high-stakes yeah. situation, and I need to worry for them. And when you prove to your audience that they don't need to be worried about you, they can just enjoy themselves. I absolutely agree. You know, that's the, the one bit of advice that I always start with with younger performers. I, I say to them, remember that your first job is to look after the audience. Because if you're not looking after the audience, they'll start looking after you, and they'll be worried, and they won't be yes. having a nice time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I couldn't agree more with that. 
I wonder how much that can transfer into life. Well, it's somewhat similar to what I'm saying. Yeah. Fundamentally, that your your first job is to look after people around you because uh, that means that they feel comforted and safe, and they want to be in your company. They want you on stage, metaphorically speaking, in their life. And uh, and then when when you struggle, when you need people, they will 100 percent. Be a be a fan to continue the stage metaphor, and uh, and you know if you break up with your partner, they'll be there to support you because they know that you're good for it, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and that they'll put, they, they want to keep you, and there's their opportunity. You're giving them a chance to look after you. Yeah, so it's like it's your gift to the world, really, to offer them an opportunity to to connect in that way. Yeah, and never. If you're a person who makes their life better, then it is a gift to let them help you. And you and people like if if you have someone in your life who is who is good to you, and then they go through difficulties, you will drop everything to go yeah. support them and help them. And people are fundamentally uh, selfish. Like, and that's not a bad thing. We all have our own things to worry and look after. And the reason you're going to help them is because that person is of value to you. And being there to help them means they'll stay in your life and that's that's fine that's good excellent well i've loved this conversation um yeah it's been great is there anything you'd like to add before we close i mean i don't think so uh what's what's the the quote from bill and ted's excellent adventure be uh, be be excellent to one another is that correct i think I yeah i think so and actually I've, i've got another quote in mind that you've really reminded me of is um the guy from the foo fighters who said um don't be having any guilty pleasures. If you like something, just fucking well like it. <laughs> yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Which I think chimes in with, with you from what I know about you as well. So, And by the way, I love ABBA. ABBA are great. Yeah, yeah fantastic, aren't they? Yeah, great tunes. Yeah, yeah why not? So where it, tell me about how we can kind of find you and Jolly Boat and, and see you perform and all that sort of stuff. Well, Jolly Boat is constantly on tour. We gig all over the country. Um, we, If you go to jollyboat.co.uk, you'll find us there. If you search Jolly Boat in Facebook, you'll find us there. It's uh, it's Jolly Boat, like happy ship on Merry Ferry. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we, we, we love to talk to people. If you do come see a show, say hi. And uh, our, our thing is all about making art we love and sharing it with people and trying to then have a connection with those people. So uh, yeah, well, please do get in touch if you like what we do. Excellent. Well, I can I can I can assure everyone who, who may not have encountered you before that you're very very funny. Yeah, we um, are. <laughs> and you've just had real stonking success at Edinburgh this summer, haven't you? As well. Yeah, yeah. Things are very much on the up at the moment, you know. Really Excellent. good. And also, uh, we're doing quite a lot of stuff with Dave, who was on last time, who's in a similar position. He is just storming the world. So. Um, yeah, check check him out as well. Like phenomenal magician, will be famous one day. Excellent. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, thanks very much, Ed. I really appreciate you giving your time. We've had a lovely long chat. It's been really informative. I think. It's been it's been really nice to uh, to have to formulate my philosophy into a into a, <laughs> a communicable form. Uh, I think. Yeah, it's good. Thank you. Yeah, I can imagine maybe you you'll do some scribbling after this, and you know maybe maybe release a grand opus. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's coming next spring. Uh, <laughs> it's called the Ed Way of Living. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, Ed. It's been great to have you. Beautiful. Thanks, Al. Have a good day. 
So a big thank you to Ed Croft for being so open and sharing his ideas on happiness with us. I had a lovely time chatting to Ed and I'm really grateful to him for breaking down the key ingredients to his happy life. If you'd like to know more about Jolly Boat, then visit jollyboat.co.uk or you can search for Jolly Boat on Facebook. They're very funny and have absolutely smashed it at this year's Edinburgh Festival, so don't deny yourself that easy happiness fix. If you enjoyed this show, don't keep it to yourself. Please tell all your friends by sharing it on social media. And please give us a juicy five-star review too. Just head on over to iTunes, search for the Alan Parry Podcast, and leave me some lovely stars. Now, you can make sure you never miss a show again by subscribing. It's completely free, and you'll find all the details as well as today's show notes over at alanparry.com. That's Alan with a U, where you'll find all of my past shows and my blog writings too. Now, the show goes out every other Tuesday, so make a note in your diary, and thanks for listening.